Hi, welcome back to the Sneaky Powerful Podcast, a podcast dedicated to somatic experiencing. My name is Allie Caparo, and I'm a therapist in Boise, Idaho, and an SE enthusiast. I wanted to say hey to friends in Portugal and Israel and Hungary today. It's so cool that you're out there listening, and thank you. I've truly loved interacting with people from all over because of the podcast. And I wanted to let you know that I am on Instagram at Sneaky Powerful. That's my name on Instagram. So you can find me there as well as my website, sneakypowerful.com. I love doing this podcast and sharing this information with everyone. And so if there's anyone you'd like to hear or a topic you'd like to focus on through the somatic experiencing lens feel free to reach out via email or instagram and i will try to see what i can do to meet those requests so today's episode i've got this amazing human in san diego california that was willing to come on her name is dr alice kirby she is really fun to just hang out and talk with really calm nurturing grounding and so interesting. So, Dr. Alice, here's a little bit about her. She specializes in somatic experiencing trauma therapy and recovery coaching. She's also a health consultant. She holds a clinical doctorate in physical therapy and is an expert in movement and working with the nervous system and body to unwind any past patterns of trauma or chronic stress that continue to wreak havoc on our systems. Dr. Alice helps clients and students to gently touch into past trauma patterns that are stored in the body. This leads to restored resiliency in the nervous system, offering a greater ability to make choices from one's essential self. In this podcast, we talk about the counter vortex and specifically Dr. Alice's interest in backpacking and the mountains. And it's so incredible how even just talking about it was such a stabilizing, calming experience for me as the listener while hearing her talk about it. So she's also, Dr. Alice is also a sober woman. She's passionate about bringing these tools to women who are in recovery to help facilitate and engage in life that is more connected to ease and well-being. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Dr. Alice. Welcome to the Sneaky Powerful Podcast. I'm really glad you're here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, if, If you don't mind sharing a little bit about, I think this will lead so well into who you are, but what where you just got back from, what you just did, and um, so I can just vicariously live through you, I would really love to hear <laughs> your adventure. Sure. I'm like, oh, you better stop me because <laughs> I could talk for a while. This is some um, counter vortex, right? We're going to zoom in on the counter vortex. And- it is, and I really appreciate that, actually, because I love that you named it because I can just feel like I'm smiling and I'm like, oh, I get to talk about this like really beautiful experience I just had. So I appreciate that so much. And so I was just in the high Sierra. I was backpacking for 12 days and that's the longest I've been out, which doesn't seem that long. I have goals, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go out for 30 next time. But, um, <laughs> it was good. You know, it's cool to do a little bit more each time. One of my dear friends, his name's Jason. We went out last year and did a section of the John Muir trail. I think we were out for nine or 10 days last year. And then we picked another section this year. And so we do part of the John Muir trail, which is like a 200 mile trail in the high Sierra, but it's kind of crowded And the section we did this year. It correlates with the PCT, the Pacific crest trail. So, you know, crowded as in like a backcountry trail crowded. So last year and this year we do like a section. So we were on the JMT, the John Muir trail for a little while. And then we got off and did, you know, some other hiking, but not on this like more main trail, which we've done that twice. And I really love it because it's just much less crowded. And we went to a couple different sets of hot springs. We climbed over 
four high passes. Our first day we had to go in over Bishop Pass, which is this 12,000 foot pass. And then you hike like down into this valley into Lacante Canyon to get to actually just even get on the John Muir Trail. And it was a really rough first day. <laughs> we were, we climbed like 2000 feet and I got altitude sick, which was my first time with that, just getting really headachy. And I was really nauseous at camp that night, but it passed. Yeah. It's just so great to be out there and it's so hard. And so it's just, I don't know what I love about it. And I started, I, I keep pitching because I do freelance writing. I keep pitching to like Backpacker and Outside Magazine. So if you're listening, editors, pick up my pitch about, you know, why we do this. And and so this is my third year going out and I've done, you know, plenty of backpacking in the past, but three years ago, I really was just like, I'm going to start going on these trips. I went on a solo trip um, two years ago and started asking other people I met in the backcountry, you know, why, why are you doing this? Because it's hard and it's dirty and... What's interesting is I don't think anyone really has a great answer. Maybe I just catch them off guard. And, you know, so I think about it a lot. My mind's always kind of going, but in this lovely, like soft, gentle way, when you're just walking for miles and miles, it's like you're, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I feel like it really connects me to like my DNA, Mm, like some sort of, it's like satisfies some like very deep DNA part of me of like my nomadic yeah. Ancestry of just walking the earth. I love it. I love it so much. It's been, it's been a harder transition. Maybe it's always hard and I just forget to like coming back to like regular society. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to be here. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I had to get my printer to work today, and, <laughs> but I did it, which feels Really, I feel like I've done something today because the printer works out. Seriously, that's a victory for sure. It is. <laughs> Which is um, stuff like that. I'm like, man, this is our life. What are we doing? Like, why do we do this? But, you know, I don't also want to live out of my backpack all the time and right, be in the right, dirt. Right. So anyway. It's the John Muir Trail. I'm thinking back to years ago. I have a friend from Independence, California. Mm-hmm. And he and his, he and another friend hiked from Independence and came out in Yosemite somewhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was wondering, is that the John Muir Trail? Does it go back behind there kind of? Probably. Yeah. I know. Okay. I think you can pick it up through there. Yeah. yeah. It's um, gorgeous country. The High Sierra, there's just, I, I love it. There's nothing like it. So I was pretty. thinking about, I've been listening to different things that you've done and different interviews and things that you've written. I've read some of the things you've written and I was thinking about, but how do you describe the women you or the people you want to work with maybe someday, like high achieving, go, 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 sympathetic um, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, I think is what you said in one interview. And I was thinking that <laughs> you're probably like that because that's your DNA probably or your Definitely. A, yeah. A part of me for sure. Yeah. And I was thinking it's like, I wonder being out there, it feels like an automatic settling where you don't even have to try. I don't know. That's my thought. Like being surrounded by the trees and the sky and the fresh air. I can just feel it right now. Cause yeah, we also both have a love Tahoe. I know. So yeah, I know I do. I love Tahoe so much. I think it's just, it's more simple. Like you still have to think about things and worry about things, but you have basically five things to worry about when you're out there. It's like, where am I going to sleep? So you have to find a flat spot. Right. You want to, you know, where am I? Where am I going? Like, make sure you like are able to navigate and you're in the right spot. Where's my next water? Make sure I have enough food. And, you know, that's it. Like, are there bugs? Are there animals? But that's, I mean, that's really it. You don't have to think about that much else. There's no service out there, which I love. So you're not getting constantly bombarded with all these little things. And it just free, it frees me up to... I get feel that. to be to yeah yeah I really am getting that in this moment especially when you said five things mm-hmm. I thought of the decision fatigue mm-hmm. and by the end of the day what it feels like when one of my kids maybe asks me a question and I'm like I I don't know yeah I can't even think through what mm-hmm. you just said because I'm so exhausted it's a lot on us and I I don't think uh-huh. we're meant to like sit and stare and focus at a screen and yeah yeah you know my I don't have great focus I, I probably have ADD but it's also I think wait I just don't think that we're supposed to do this I, like right. this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. 
Ooh, I feel all connected to the, just the, I guess the pine trees, Tahoe, that, that the trails that you were on, that really connects to a counter vortex part of me because my mom and dad were, grew up in Tahoe. And so that was always a place like I grew up in Fresno, California. And we, I would be like, are we going to the mountains today? Are we going to the mountains today? And I could like see on a clear day, the Sierra yeah. and it was like, come on, let's go back. It just was this pole. So I love that to picture you hiking in the mountains through there. Okay. So I guess we can get down to business. <laughs> Talk about transitions. We'll help you transition to your work life. Great. I'll um, remember. I'll remember that I have one of those. Exactly. So you're a physical therapist. Yes. So I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I like to introduce myself like that, mostly just to inform people about the profession, because a lot of people don't understand that physical therapists have a clinical doctorate. A lot of people think it's a PhD or, or I don't know, or they think we just like make it up or something. Um, <laughs> it's very, it's strange. So I like, I introduce myself like that on purpose to say, no, I have a clinical doctorate. This is right. along the same category as like an MD, a DO, a DD, like a chiropractor, a dentist, we're clinical doctorates. And so yeah. it's not a PhD. And they switch to a, a doctorate program I think like in the past, like 10 years ago, maybe they started making it mandatory for all PTs to do doctorates. And we had a lot more pharmacology as part of our education. Wow. Like we have to understand like drugs and drug interactions and things like that, which is really pretty fascinating because I like chemistry and what else? Oh, we did more, more of a research component than I think was previously part of the, the PT education. So anyway, yeah, that's just a little yeah. education about the world of physical therapy. It's fascinating because I, well, I'll just jump in. So what made you want to combine physical therapy and somatic experiencing? You know, I don't know that I do combine that. <laughs> <very> well. <laughs> so before, before I went to PT school, I was a massage therapist for a long time. I went to this place called the Heartwood Institute up in Northern California, way up in Garberville in the middle of nowhere. Um, really cool, but it was sort of spiritually informed, mm -hmm. all, you know, I'll say. And I'd done a lot of meditation practices and studied, I studied more Chinese medicine there. So I had this kind of alternative medicine background before I went into PT school. And I was always really interested in the nervous system and brains and like, how, how can we change patterns in our, you know, in our neurophysiology really, although I don't think I would have said that 20 years ago, that that's what I was looking for. So I decided to go, I went back to school when I was 30, just because I was tired of being a massage therapist. I wanted to broaden my scope of practice. So, and then that led me to PT school eventually, or originally I wanted to go to med school. I wanted to be a DO, an osteopathic physician. Uh -huh. And so I like did all my pre-med stuff. I took the MCAT and then I had this really strong voice just say like, this is not it. And I've only heard this voice like maybe three or four times in my life, but it's, uh -huh. I very, I trust it a lot. I wish it, I wish it came in more voice um, <laughs> because it's really clear. It was like, this isn't it. So I thought, you know, and I actually applied for a neuroscience PhD program, but they wanted me to like research rats and my undergraduate like capstone project had been on, you know, belly dancing. And I think all the, like <laughs> neuroscience researchers were like, uh-huh, we, we don't need you. <laughs> So, so I didn't do that, <laughs> but PT seemed like a really good fit. Cause I did have a manual therapy background anyway. So that's yeah, a long that story to say when I went into PT school, I always, I'd had for a long time, this interest in like neuroscience and, and neuropsychology to an extent, but I yeah. really didn't want to be a psychologist. I wanted more of a hard science mm -hmm. under my belt. I don't know why I just did. I wanted to call, be able to call myself a doctor and PT mm -hmm. seemed like the most direct way to do that too. Yeah. Right. And then I found SE just, and I think I will combine them. I think that's going to naturally be the, the road that I take. I've been practicing SE for probably three years now. I've been a full-fledged practitioner for almost a year. So I'm still pretty new as an SEP, sure. but I, my SEP, like my somatic experiencing work, I tend to do that more online. I do that more with women in recovery or women in high stress. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't have a great overlay of the two. Like I'll bring some trauma work into my PT, but right. it's not, it's not really what I do at this point. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of a long answer, but I don't, I think they will 
probably combine more and more as I move forward in my work. And yeah, I was thinking when you said that you're starting to assist and I was thinking how much growth and increased capacity since starting to assist that I've been just blown away with things, integrating the information and then using it. Like Mm -hmm. it's becoming such a part of me and it's mostly through assisting, which is probably says something about me (laughs) and my learning style. But No, I mean, I think when we have to like start being in any kind of teaching role, which assisting we are, you know, we're, we're doing some, we're not the teacher, but we're like helping explain things and answering questions. So we're having to think about the information differently. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and make it a little deeper. I was kind of wondering, because I, I, I work with, uh, what did, what would she call herself? She's a maybe a trauma massage therapist. Like she focuses on working with trauma and specifically sexual abuse. But she'll say things like, oh, it's it's not hard to bring trauma up in the body. And I've always felt curious about what she means by that. And I'm wondering if it would happen for you, you would experience people's trauma or see it like on the massage table or in physical therapy, or how did you start to identify? Maybe it's through your own experience with trauma. I'm not sure, but I feel curious about how you started to identify that there was trauma in the system, maybe. I mean, I think it's always a little different, but it's like there's those telltale signs. Like you can see people guard or harden against certain things. I look for that a lot. Like, are there changes in the physiology and does it follow any sort of a a particular pattern? And, And I think what is interesting about being a PT is like all it's like I have different lenses that I'll I'll look at the body with, you know, and I think they're not like perfectly overlaid yet. And maybe they never will be, but I'll. I'll be kind of like checking out a joint or how a joint moves. And maybe I'm not necessarily looking at it through a trauma lens, but that's like a different layer that, that I'll look at. I'll look at it through like a range of motion and a pain and how does it feel? And then maybe I'll learn like, oh, this was from a fall. And okay. So how does it feel if we go through pieces of the fall? That's where I actually, you're reminding me, it was in Boise. There's um, what he does the fascial distortion model. Oh, that sounds familiar. He does more than that, I'm sure. But that's what I'm thinking of. He's a physical therapist in Boise. And he I should just say his name, Matt Booth. And he had Peter's book, Waking the Tiger in his office in his waiting room. And I was in grad school to be a therapist. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. But he was saying kind of what you just said, he was saying that he went to a workshop, I don't know if it was a somatic experiencing workshop or what. But he had had a bad bike fall. And he basically had worked through the physical part, but not the emotional part mm-hmm. and worked through how that had stored itself. And, and he basically reenacted the accident as they worked, they worked through the process of the emotions. I'm poorly paraphrasing his story, but. No, it makes sense. Okay, Cause good. It's because it's, it's in there, right? I mean, we know it's in yeah. there and. It's so cool to be able to help people unwind it or to, um, I'd like for someone to do that on my shoulder. <laughs> I, I have a bike fall and I'm like, I think this is what it needs is it needs like some SE, like informed body work. Yeah. Yeah. I, and he also is the one, like he, I have a shoulder injury. Mine's from who knows what, but volleyball possibly. And <laughs> that's when it started anyway. And he'll, he'll work on my shoulder and he'll say something like, oh, I can tell that's really old. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what does that even mean? Like, this is like magic to me. How do you know this? I know it feels like magic. We had an assistant in my advanced two training. She was seriously magical. She like put her hand on my, on my like pelvic region. Cause we were doing touch and advanced two. And she oh, was like, yeah. oh, you're ovulating. I can feel your, like an Stop egg it. just dropped. And I was like, oh, well that makes sense. Cause I was just saying like, I feel like sort of sexual, like, and I was like, oh, I'm ovulating. That checks out. Like I had like a cramp, but she, I mean, she would like put her hand on you and be able to feel through all the different layers. Yes. It was really neat. I know. That's I'd like to what, that's yes. more. I know, right? I'm, like, I'm not quite that magical. Oh, like I'm good, but I can't do that. I can't tell someone's ovulating and their eggs are dropping. That's I can feel it on myself now, though, because she sort of guided me to that. So I can always tell now. I'm like, oh, this is what's happening. That's what this feels like. 
I think you just actually condensed why SE awareness is so important right there. Because if someone can help you get to mm-hmm. know what's happening, then you can do it for yourself. Yeah. I always promote using a therapist and get, getting the support you need. Definitely. But like now you know, oh, I love that story. Yeah. And we're the ones who, I mean, we're with ourselves 24 seven. So like if, if we're not taking the time to really, I talk a lot about, you know, partnering with ourselves and how can I be the best partner to myself, like through whatever, you know, challenges, happy moments. And I think I've learned that through doing so much SE and so much therapy along with the training of like, oh, I, I do know how to do it myself now. And of course I still love to go practice with my practitioner, but it's a real gift to be able to go through life, like in partnership with ourselves, like real felt sense partnership. I, and I, I, can you think of a time where you weren't compared to today? And and is there a way you would be able to articulate either a little bit of how you did it, the process or how it's different, what's different, how it served you? I'm really curious about that because I think Mm -hmm. emphasizing the value of it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a good question. And a lot of people ask like, well, that sounds great, but like, how do you do it? And I think the, how do you do it for me, how I did it and do it is I saw my practitioner on a very regular basis for a long time. I went through the SE training. So I got a lot of uh, really good guidance and practice time. And I, and I practice when I'm alone, you know, I practice when I'm sad. I practice when I feel good. I take time to notice what's going on in my body. Mm-hmm. I've recognized my patterns. That's been a big one. I had a really intense overproductivity pattern that will still kind of show its head, but it's so much better than it was five years ago where like, if I wasn't constantly like grinding or doing this or do, you know, it's a lot of self-worth and productivity stuff that I think a lot of us have. It would mean it was really painful. It was a very painful pattern and it would just show up and it was old, something from childhood, I'm sure. Um, I don't need to know exactly why or what, but I could recognize it. And so that was something that was really helpful too, to be able to recognize it like through the years when it would show up, I would start to notice, like I would feel the same way in my body. My emotions would take the same thing. And I, and then I could say, I mean, there's power in knowing like, oh, this is a pattern that's happening right now okay, like I can be aware of that and I can hang out with it because I know what it is and I know how to stay with myself. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, go take a walk. I can feel the sun on my face. Doesn't mean I, that makes me all happy. I can still be sucked in the pattern, but it's like being able to stay with myself through those, you know, pattern moments, tricky stuff, hard things. That's the, that's like the real key, I think, to being successful in life, really. I love that. And I love the phrase, stay with myself. I've heard it described the opposite way. Don't abandon Mm -hmm. yourself. And so hearing stay with myself, because what would it have looked like previously if you wouldn't have stayed with yourself? Would you just have like gone forward with the pattern and gotten exhausted? Yeah, (laughs) that was basically what my whole doctorate program was that, you know, and (laughs) exacerbated with alcoholism was pretty much how I coped with things. And it got really bad. Like my last year, I I talk about this pretty openly, but my last clinical rotation in my PT program was hell. I mean, it was, I definitely have PTSD from the experience, like not to minimize anyone who's been in you know, other situations, yeah, but like, you, yeah. I can feel the physiological response my body has when I think about it and remember wow. it. Cause it was just like, there was no, I had no tools to deal with anything. So I drank and I just kept going. That was that override pattern from like, I got to get through this. So I have to just keep going. But it was terrible. It was terrible. I wanted to get away from myself. That was, you know, I think that's why when there's any kind of substance abuse or avoidant type behavior, it's like, what are we trying to fill? What are we trying to get away from? So there was no staying with myself. It was like, how do I not feel? How do I move through this without being in so much pain or having to be so difficult or so hard? Wow. I know. I, I heard, I heard, uh, I think it was Mashid. I don't know if you know Mashid. Hager. I do. I love Mashid. Yeah. I thought about her today, actually. It was her birthday yesterday. Maybe that's why. really, there's a, <laughs> there's a picture in a catalog, a model. And she was like, so pretty and had this great smile and this like dark curly hair. And I was like, oh, she reminds me of Mashid. And I was like, oh, how's Mashid doing? She's <laughs> she yeah. does have a great smile. But I remember her talking about something like maybe not white knuckling it through things and totally and 
I'm like, wait, that's an option? Yes. I thought that's what you did. I didn't understand building capacity. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better and so much like <sighs> easier. Even coming back yes. from this trip, I feel like I'm in like a, like just a new level of doing that where I'm like, I don't like, I have things to tend to and in, in my business to care for. And I have, you know, things to do patients to see, but I'm just not like, okay, now I'm back and I got to like jump in and I got to sit down and do this on social media. I'm just like, I don't feel like doing that. I'm not gonna, I took a wow. week basically off. Cause I moved as soon as I got back. So I'm like, well, wow. I, I need some time and space to get into my new home. I had therapy and I was like, I don't feel like doing anything. She's like, great. <laughs> How's that feel in your body? Wow. I know. So it's nice to just, I mean, you know, it's not to say that we do nothing all the time or we can always like be off plane in the woods, but to bring some of that in, I think for me on this level of like, I can do the things I need to do and it doesn't need to be like rushed. Yeah. doesn't need to be so stressful. There doesn't need to be this urgency behind everything. Yes. Right. It's a very like different way. And I'm, I'm like, I want to hang on to this. <laughs> can I keep practicing this every day? Yeah. Yeah. That was another thing she I've heard her say is she has a really great self-care routine and that feels like staying with myself, <laughs> yourself, yeah. supporting yourself enough to stay, <laughs> not mm-hmm. have to abandon, dissociate, yeah. whatever it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Overwork, hyperproductivity. I mean, all that, I guess is like abandonment. I think, I think totally. Right. Actually, now that you say that, I wanted to know, are you familiar with freeze? Does your system do freeze very much? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm thinking probably you're more in the sympathetic tendency. I think that's definitely, that's definitely my pattern. Yeah. Like I'll spike up, like just even with this printer not working, I'm like, damn it, why does it work? <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, this is silly. Why am I getting so upset over printer? My poor guy in the front office is probably like, what's there? Why is he talking to myself? And singing and shaking my fist at the printer. So I don't know if that's normal. <laughs> I think it's actually reality. It's valid because it's so frustrating <laughs> and yet it is what it is. Having that yeah. both and I was mm-hmm. going for a walk earlier before we got on here and I was thinking of that. I was thinking of some of the things I wanted to talk with you about. And I wanted to talk about one thing was like the idea of the window of tolerance and then fight flight being above or outside of the window and then freeze being below. And I was going to say, I think I'm just moving from fight flight to freeze. I'm I'm like, I'm wondering how much I'm actually getting into that window of tolerance or that regulated space. Right. Right. So when I was thinking about you and I was thinking, if your pattern tends to be more sympathetic, how do you know you're in that regulated space? What are some of the cues where you're like, oh yeah, this is it. <laughs> this feels Yeah. Good. I'm ki- I'm like kinder to other people, even in my thoughts. Um, I notice that like when I get really, when I'm just like irritated and frustrated with like everyone around me, I'm typically, that's a sign. I'm probably not the most regulated. Yeah. And just being more, I'm more accepting. I'm more, I'm slower internally. I'm moving at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm less reactive. Like, and then how do you know if you're in freeze? I'm having trouble with that one lately. Because I feel, I mean, I'm, I feel frozen is what I was going to say, <laughs> which, <laughs> but it's you, I'll, I'll feel like, and I don't think freeze is a huge one for me. But it does happen. I got, I was sexually assaulted or trigger warning um, on the job like a couple months ago. And I had a really interesting experience with freeze that was gonna, it's really, I think it's very useful for me to have had that experience in my own nervous system and to kind of know what was happening as it was happening, but like still watching my body respond that way. Mm. And just, cause it's, it was just like, whoa, like what, that was inappropriate. And I was able to like use my voice it was really weird to watch my own system kind of go through this pattern that I knew about and could articulate and talk about, but to really be able to feel it and not like freeze is, is I'm much slower to be able to actually access like rational thought and, or any tools. As you were saying that I was like, Oh, there's that tension in my neck, like the freeze in my neck. Mm-hmm. I have sexual abuse in my history and I, I wouldn't have noticed that except we were talking about it and I noticed the clenching, the tightness and the, the 
freezing of this area, the neck head. It's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But that awareness helps because then it helps like, okay, I can let it move through. And you, for me also, I just know that I'm like, I'm not crazy. I'm yes. not doing anything wrong. Cause I think, yes. especially with sexual assault, there's like a shame piece that's around it. And I, I feel like I understand that better now too, because it's, you look back and you're like, well, why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? And it's, it's because your body is having like a neurobiological, physiological response. Yeah, absolutely. That women have probably had since the beginning of time absolutely. when we're assaulted by a man, like, yeah, the answer. or someone bigger than us, you know, child, parent, whatever, like yeah, right. when, it's, when it's not safe and we are sort of genetically in a position of being less strong. Right. I think that's that how our- help. Full for yeah. me too with the shame piece of like, okay, wait, this wasn't my prefrontal smart executive thinking deciding this. This was yeah. subcortical. This was an assessment of this is the safest thing to do in this situation. 100%. And I hope people hear that. I hope people listening hear that because. Me it, too. We need much more education about it. I think yeah. broadly. Like I talked to the, I contract for this company. So it's not like I'm an employee or anything, but I talked to the owner of the company about it and you know, I'm, I'm very rational and able to discuss things like sort of scientifically. And, and he, he said something like, well, I mean, maybe it's a like neurophysiological response or whatever, but, and I'm like, there, there's no, but like, no. this is you, you as a company owner where this might happen to someone else, you need to understand and have protocols in place for this to support the person that this happens to. And yeah. it's like, I think we just need a ton more education about it. I agree. I, that's as this podcast evolves, that's kind of how I'm, thinking of it, the more interviews and more podcast episodes I do, I'm thinking of mostly it's, yes, it's somatic experiencing, but to be a more trauma-informed society, because I am, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I have no tolerance anymore for this experience that, um, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't they say anything? And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> let's get some education anyway. Okay. There was something that I wanted to ask you about when you said, I think it was your website, maybe. Restore nervous system regulation. And I was like, first of all, let me make an appointment with you. (laughs) (laughs) What would be something you would walk through with a client to kind of move toward that? What are some of the things you like to do? I like to do a lot of different things. I like to see, I like to get a sense of like, if the person has any idea of what that means in their own system. Yes. You know, so kind of ask about like, what do you like to do? Kind of like how you started our our call today of, of tell me about this experience that you had that was pleasant. And then I look for, you know, to cues what's happening in their body. Are they leaning back? Is there smiling? And then I'll, you know, kind of stop and pause and point that out. Like, oh, you know, what are you noticing? Oh, here's what I'm seeing. And, you know, just curious. And I'm not trying to be too directive with people. But to point things out that might then serve as sort of a roadmap or a guide for them to know like, oh, this is one of the the clues or the cues that helps me know that I'm in my window or I am more regulated. Like, you know, when I'm leaning back in my chair, I feel calmer or my system feels more settled. So to even just like find little places where that already exists, if it does, some people, it doesn't, they don't know what it means. They're you know, they're high alert all the time or they're depressed and it just doesn't exist. So then it's like, you have to really try to draw it out. And I'll tell people, especially like that, where I'm like, this might be a little, it might take a little time and we're not looking for huge changes. We're looking for really small things. Yeah. Right. So, you know, is there a moment in time I had one client get to me and say like, I had a flash of joy, a flash of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is a huge humongous deal. Like for Mm -hmm. her, it was. And so stuff like that's really cool when those little, and when people are able to start recognizing it and, and not to report it to me, but just to feel it in themselves of like, Oh, this is a sense of, what regulation is. And it's, I had this, I sent out a, I taught a little course a couple of weeks ago. And one of the emails I sent out, I described being in like a busy foreign crowded marketplace and kind of walked through some points with that. Like, what do you, you know, what do you notice in your body? Are you completely swept away by it? Do you feel the need to go close yourself in a room or can you observe all the activity and stay with yourself? Because that's Mm -hmm. self-regulation or that's an example of being well-regulated or or being able to self-regulate. 
Um, I like picturing that actually. I'm like, Ooh, I like that one. That works I did too. It was one of my more sort of clever, I guess it was a marketing thing, but I'm like, Oh, I think this is a good example of like a a self-regulation because a lot of times people don't know what that means, which is fair. It's not really in the common vernacular. Not at all. Yeah, exactly. I, and it's funny to hear like nervous system. I kind of am starting to hear it everywhere Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I'm glad I'm very glad, but yeah, it's kind of funny to hear it, but I love noticing when you shared noticing just what they're doing already mm-hmm. so that their body it's it reminds me, I used to be a teacher and you know teaching whatever age you scaffold you you start with whatever information they have and you build upon that so it can like anchor like a chain to the next thing and that's kind of what that reminds me of it's like if you can find it mm-hmm. then it's it's easier to link it to another good thing or another good thing. And I was like, Oh, that's, I love that. Yeah. I like that too. That's, and that's how I got through exams. And I always like to start that way with people is just asking myself, like, what do I know? And I think that's always a really good question to ask ourselves. What do I know about my system? Mm -hmm. What do I know? about brain anatomy on that one particular test. (laughs) (laughs) I was really panicked. I was like, wait, I know some of this. I've been studying for weeks. I gotta know something. (laughs) But I like that as a fallback, you know, what what do I know? And start there with whatever we're going through, you know, whether it's a hard time and and things I was sharing with you before, I've been kind of displaced for a, a lot of the past year. And there was a lot of moving pieces and kind of scrambling and figuring out basic stuff about where I'm going to live and stay. And that was really helpful for me, even in that it's like, okay, well, like, what do I know? And and what are my needs right now? Like, and just starting from there. And I think in times of overwhelm, if we can sort of boil plate it down to that and then touch in with our systems. And also I think articulating what we do know, it brings us back into a place of empowerment Mm -hmm. versus just feeling swept away by the currents of life. Totally helpless. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. think that's so true. I love that because I was thinking about that also today because I was thinking that black and white thinking, which tends to be a a developmental, like normal for kids, not normal for adults. (laughs) It's time Mm -hmm. to grow out of it, but I'll get there, especially if I'm in sort of a swirl of negative and I'll get that. Well, everything's not how I want it. So I I, nothing's good. Forget it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't even oh, care. I'm 13 again. Yeah. I do have a 13 year old, so it is kind of contagious, but <laughs> oh, yeah. you have that direct reflection every day. <laughs> I'm like, wait, my face. <laughs> when she says, I'll say, what's wrong with you? Your face. I'm like, well, <laughs> thanks. Thanks I child love, that I bore. I love 13. <laughs> God love you. Anyway, yeah, but I get really, really pissy attitude and uh, this isn't how I want it. This isn't working. This isn't working. And we don't need a crisis to remind us, wait a minute, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Mm -hmm. We do have a house. Like it's, it's that just, what do I know? Or what is good? Or those questions that kind of narrow down this chaotic overwhelm that tends to pull us to that damn trauma vortex. Yeah, definitely. What's going well. So I have a curiosity and, and this is just to talk and explore no necessary like wisdom (laughs) needed, but I was thinking about, you said restoring movement. You love helping people these are my words, but get excited about moving. Yeah, that's accurate. I do. Yeah, that's from what I read and have heard. I'm like, that's kind of how I would interpret it. And so I was thinking, guess I'm curious because I loved movement as a child. All children, right? But like I was doing Mary Lou Retton gymnastics routines on my neighbor's front lawn because it was such a perfect square. And since starting my this career, movement has just decreased drastically. And then physical things have started to impair movement. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I back this up? How do I get out of this? Yeah. Yeah. If you could speak to any of that to me or generally, I would love it. 
Sure. So I think it is nice to reflect on what did we like to do as a kid? You know, not that you're necessarily going to go do gymnastics, but it's fun to like, okay, outside of my neighbor's yard and Mary Lou Retton, like that's really fun. So maybe it's not that you go back to doing exactly that, but can, can you pull some inspiration from movement that like brought you joy or maybe look back 20 years ago to something that you like to do? And just remember that you you do like movement. I'm sort of saying you as one, just kind of general advice. And I think as we get older, I mean, I'm in my mid forties now and it's, I mean, it's like constant maintenance. And I work with people that are in their eighties and nineties as some of my physical therapy clients. I had a woman I worked with for years. She was 98 when she passed and she was like one of the, just a great lady. I mean, she was doing weighted squats with me and, you know, she was just really motivated and she liked moving. She always had. So I think it's never too old is why I share that. And I get people of all ages to move my patients. If they are willing, they get better. They feel better. Because our bodies are designed to move. And as we get older, we do, there's more maintenance involved. That's what I've noticed for myself. It's a real big bummer. I take a ton of like joint supportive supplements. When I'm backpack, I lug around my turmeric and glucosamine. And, you know, I take it twice a day when I'm out there. My body takes longer to recover when I get back. So I think just knowing and accepting that it's not a reason to not do it. It's like, if we stop doing it, then we're going to go into functional declines. That's just how it works. And that's a bummer. So, and there's lots of lovely ways to move that are just less joint intensive. Like some people who maybe let's say, for example, we're big time runners or big time cyclists. It's like, if they can't do that thing in the same way, it's like that black and white, like, well, forget it. I can't do it. Oh, I can't do those gymnastics routines anymore. So It's just not even worth like taking a walk and like, you got to get out of that mindset. I mean, if, if you don't, you're going to get stuck. Cause I I mean, I've seen people who, when, when you stop moving at any age, like stuff goes downhill fast, like for anyone. And I say that very bluntly to all of my clients who are stuck in bed, people that just got out of the ICU. I'm like, we got to get up, you know, we have to at least sit up. We've got to start somewhere or you're going to die in the bed basically. And that sucks. It's sad to not be able to get up and go to the toilet. It's horrible. Nobody wants to live that way. So, yeah, right. so movement's really, really important, but stuff like I'm really into joint supportive things just for my own health. Like I really need it. Um, stuff like Qigong and Tai Chi are really wonderful, lovely ways to move. You know, people have been doing that, those, those forms of exercises in China for thousands of years, tons of elderly people doing them. It's great for balance, but it's nice for younger people too. You don't have to be in your sixties or seventies. Qigong, it feels really good, helps connect you with the sort of the life force energy of the world, the chi, the prana. Um, Do you still, do you offer classes? I don't. No, I was for a while. I'm going to be, I'm teaching at a retreat center in a couple of weeks. I have a couple of retreats coming up this year. I know I'm excited. So whenever I do like retreats or classes like that, that go on for a few days, I always incorporate Qigong. So I'll teach a little bit every morning, maybe some in the evening because it is such lovely centering exercise. So I think just start moving and do like something, even if it's small is really my advice. Take a walk, find something that you enjoy, even if you just enjoy it a tiny little bit. Bicycles, great, great for your knees. You can get a trike. My uncle's in his eighties. He just got one of those trikes. Awesome. Yeah. I'm like, get on it, ride it around. I'm very, I'm sort of pushy with movement. (laughs) (laughs) We need you. (laughs) It's like what I do and, and, and people feel better, you know, and it's hard when there's chronic pain and yeah. Water is great. You can get in the water, but there's, it's just good to not stop moving. I like that. I like, and, and, and joint supportive supplements are helpful. I'm a big fan of turmeric. Okay. Now we know I'm going to keep that on my, <laughs> my yeah, list of things here. It helps. Yeah. What's your self-care like during the week when you're busy? When you don't, or when you're not backpacking. <laughs> I know. Even when I backpack, I bring my nice face lotion. And a bunch, I bring these like deluxe wipes, which probably weigh my pack down, but I'll do, I love I'll that. do like my face wipe day and night and my nice cream. Um, that's my little nod to self-care on the trail. Let's see. Oh, you know what I like doing? I've been into this for a while is I'll make my coffee and I have like this very special coffee that I make. And then I have a little foamer. But then I sit down, I have a little altar with my stones and I take my coffee over and then I do my meditation. 
and it's lovely. And I'll like kind of sip it. I listen to some affirmations and then I'll just, usually I sit quietly for 10 minutes and I pull a couple cards, Mm -hmm. but I just have my like warm coffee there. And sometimes I'll sip it and sometimes I'll just have it and I'll sip a little before and after. But I like having that habit paired because I look for it now. Like I'll make coffee and I'm like, oh, I got to go do my meditation. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's been really like a lovely grounding practice, especially because I have been traveling and moving around so much um, in the past year. Like that's been really consistent. Would it be fair to say it's a way that you, let me see, what did we say? Either return to yourself, stay with yourself, or just get more organized in yourself. I think all all of the above. And just calm down, you know, like yeah. put things in perspective, especially if I wake up and I'm looking at my phone and there's like dumb stuff, like the UPS doesn't have my apartment number. Um, <laughs> I love true that story that happened today and it was annoying. And I was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, I know. I like just woke up and I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, this is dumb. Like get out of bed and make your coffee and like go sit because it helps to just, yeah, kind of bring everything back where then I'm, So what do you think that is right there in that spot where you're irritated? Because I think that's such a um, crossroads moment for people Mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm irritated. I don't want to. It's that kid thing. Gosh, my 13 year old is on fire today. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's where we have, that's why all this training, that's where it comes in is we recognize what's happening. And we, we have like that, what is it? The moment between so like recognition and response is a moment of choice and freedom. It's a yeah. quote, something like that. I'm butchering it. But I think that's it when I can yeah. say like, I don't need to do this right now. Or like, I'm going to do this and stop being a whiny little fussy baby about it. And then I'm going to get up and like take care of myself and get on, you know, make my coffee, wash my face, do my meditation. Yeah, and right. then like decide that I'm going to sit down and handle things like this. Oh, I love that. I'm thinking of, Resma Menachem. Have you heard much of him? He's a SEP, and, but he works a lot with racism and particularly he wrote a book called My Grandmother's Hands and he talks about um, the trauma in our body and how our bodies respond to different colored bodies. It's really fascinating. Yeah. But he also talks about maturity, <laughs> being growing up, being a mature adult and um stepping up to the plate and facing up to these things. And and I think I, I do want to do a disclaimer, not white knuckling it, but doing things that build our capacity yes. to, to take care of ourselves, to be mature, to whatever else fits in that category. All the things that I'm kind of rebelling against. I'm like, I just want summer beach. I don't know. Me so too. you are in All San Diego. Do you surf? Um, sometimes I surfed, I used to live in Hawaii years ago and I was really into surfing there. Shortboard or longboard? Um, I have both. These days when I go out, I take like a nice long foam top and just sort of play around on small waves. I'm I'm not interested in dying or drowning. Seriously. I'm a really good swimmer. I'll go do ocean swims, but surfing, I mean, I don't know. I'm just older now. (laughs) I'm like, I don't. I, I sort of, I mean, I'm more into snowboarding. I think I, I get more into that. The, the mountains don't move. So it's a little bit, there's less factors, but I do surf sometimes. Yeah. I just got a boogie board. So I do like to go boogie boarding, like a little ridiculous kid. That's very joyful. It's so, so fun. fun. It's the most fun. It easy. is. It's not easy surfing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got this. I'm an athlete. I got this. I sucked. Surfing's I like, hard. What? It takes years to get like reasonably crappy, which is sort of where I am. Like I can go out and catch a wave, but it's a ton of work. And but I just moved into this place that's like a block and a half from the actual beach, which I before I, I lived on these cliffs. Yeah. So I think I'm going to surf more. I got my board. Because those yeah, are pretty but, good weight at that particular beach. Pretty. I was thinking the they time can I was be. There. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like it small though. I'm I'm not, I don't know. I guess I do sort of extreme sports, but I do them in a very unextreme way. I'm like, I'm a 45 <laughs> year old, I'm a middle-aged lady. Like I like, I like to rock climb and snowboard, but I'm, I'm not extreme about it. It's just That's fun. My favorite thing. I love extreme sports, but I don't do the extreme part or something. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm on extreme. Just casual about it because it's all really fun stuff, you know. It is it's like you don't have to be. What's that guy, Alex Hano, who's like free solo in Yosemite? Like, I'll just, you know, no. I'll just do something smaller than that <laughs> with a lot of ropes. That's what I'll do instead. It feels better. I love that. 
it's not black and white. It's very like, see, I can be gray. I can totally do this and yeah. not have to be. Yeah, exactly. that, that's something that keeps me trapped too, is that mentality of, well, if I'm, if I'm not going to be good or really good at it, why? What's the point? Yeah. Oh, that's a lie. That's a myth. <laughs> it's hard to be really good at like a lot of stuff. Or even like drawing or anything that feels yeah. Me relaxing. Yeah. These rules that I put on myself. Yeah. 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 It's fun to do stuff because it's fun and challenging. I mean, I like sort of manageable challenges. I think I seek things like that out. When you were saying something about, and I think I saw it on one of your um, social media posts, but, and basically when you're talking about exploring why people uh, hike or do these backpacking trips because they're so hard. And what came to mind, I was thinking about a friend of mine who, his dad was really into initiation and and that process, especially coming from other cultures and how some cultures have it in their Basically, initiation is part of their development. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes of these things like that you like this challenge, it's they have this initiation type quality that builds our capacity of what we're capable of. Yeah. And who we are. Yeah. And I think it, that's yeah. right on. Yeah. It inspires me. I'm like, that's right. Being uncomfortable is not all bad. Yeah. And especially when there's good parts of it too. Like I definitely, I mean, I'm sort of soft, right? I don't like being super, super uncomfortable, but I like to be moderately challenged, I guess. Yeah. I like thinking of it in those, it's just, it's just a really kind way to think of it. And I appreciate it. Yeah. We might as well be kind to ourselves. (laughs) That's the goal. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Might as well. (laughs) Well, it's been a total pleasure having you, and I am anticipating we're going to cross paths at some, like, San Diego SE training where we're both assisting or something. Definitely. That'll be Um, fun. Yeah. So thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me, Allie. It's been really fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Sneaky Powerful podcast. I look forward to next week's episode, which will be just me. And I'll be talking about somatic experiencing. (laughs) Beyond that, it's a surprise. So I hope you're having a wonderful day. Stay safe and be well. Mm